As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekul, joined as always by my friend and colleague, Paul Tenorio. Paul, how's it going this morning? Good, man. I'm feeling good today, Sam. I feel like I've got like some some rants maybe inside me. Ooh, it's been a while right. since I've ranted on this podcast, but yep. I feel like this is an episode that's primed for it, and I feel like I've got the energy for it. I, I haven't even had my second coffee of the day, which I, I would like to usually have, but Right now, it's just it's natural energy. So wow, it's just it's just flowing, flowing without any performance enhancers. That's right. That's right. You, you love to see it. Um, well, I'm excited to hear about your rants. Are, are you ready? To, are you ready rants? to to match the rants, Sam? How you? Well, feeling? I think I think the way this show might work is that I think you're gonna rant a little bit, and I think I'm gonna maybe do some devil's advocating, and then I'll probably end with a rant. So. Okay, I think beautiful. that's I think that's how we're gonna go. It's we been are, a successful formula for the for allocation disorder. <laughs> the best is it? Have, is that why we do it? I don't. It's not, not always, intentional. But I think it, I think, in, I think when it happens, it, it it works. We are ranting, of course, about the Northwestern men's basketball. Team. No, I'm kidding. Um, that team has me in a perpetual knot. I will say big that. day for Sam today. Huge big day. day he, big game tonight, guys. I'll decide uh, whether or not to jump on the bus at a later date. I'm glad Maybe. that you're putting that on the record now because you're going to pretend that you were on it all year. Potentially, no. And, yeah, I'm going to be a super been. fan on you social media. So when the time is right, I'm glad that it's being stated for the record in public for dozens of people to hear. I will be behind this team as I have been, and since <laughs> I got to Northwestern in 2003. <laughs> right. Well, enough, enough of that. I'm sure we've we've lost a lot of people already. But for those of you that managed to stick through that two minute intro or whatever it was, we are talking today about MLS playoff structure. We learned a little bit more about what it potentially is going to look like for 2023. Um, we don't love it. That's the rant Paul is talking about. And then there was a big development, of course, in American soccer in England this week, where Jesse Marsh was fired from Leeds United. Um, he is now free agent, which, you know, there might be a certain high profile vacancy in American men's soccer. Uh, that certain people maybe want him to be in and others maybe don't. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about that as well. But let's start with the playoff format. 
we reported, Pablo and I, I think, reported in October, I want to say, that MLS was considering going to a World Cup-style format with, you know, two four-team groups in each conference, and they need to increase the number of playoff games so that Apple can have more inventory for MLS season pass, and that every team can have a home game, and they can sell more tickets and make more money, and blah, 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 blah. I think the three of us, Paul, you, I, and Pablo Maurer, reported about a month ago now, I want to say, that they were looking instead at a best-of-three format for the first round, and then single elimination the rest of the way through. We talked about that on, on a previous show, I believe, and I don't think either of us like love it, but we don't really hate it either because it preserves single elimination for the most part. We reported something earlier this week that I think both of us are a little bit more negative on, and that is the addition of a ninth team on each side of the bracket, nine teams per conference, 18 out of 29 teams total, looking like they're going to make the playoffs in 2023 in MLS. That's 62 point something percent of the league. That's a lot of teams, Paul. It's a lot of teams. Um, Too many, I think it could be argued. The rationale, it's basically what I laid out already. They want more games for Apple. They want more games for MLS season pass. They want more teams to be involved in the postseason so they can have more game day related revenue off of those matches. Uh, They want everybody to have a home game and they want more teams to be in contention later in the year. I think, you know, you're solving for all of those things by doing this. But Paul, at what cost? Well, at the cost of having compelling soccer for the majority of the season. So you're devaluing. You're you're going to ask people to pay. I can't even remember what it is. I think it's like seventy nine ninety nine if you're already an Apple Plus subscriber. Yeah, it's hundred bucks for the year. If, it's a hundred bucks if you're not. So you want people to pay a hundred dollars to watch your regular season at the same time telling them that for the most part. The regular season is not going to matter till like the last month when you can pay attention because whether you're in 13th place or fourth place, there's something to care about. There's, you know, there are a lot of people out there who are kind of casual soccer fans or newish soccer fans who latched on to a Premier League team, or maybe they're not even newish. Maybe they're longtime fans of the sport who are believers in the promotion relegation system to the highest degree. And their constant argument about MLS is that there isn't as much compelling sporting sporting narratives in MLS because there's no threat of relegation. There's no risk if you are bad. It doesn't really hurt you that much. You miss the playoffs, but you're right back in it the next year with another chance to play on. Now, that doesn't tend to hurt the NFL or NBA or Major League Baseball, but they're not competing with all these other leagues. Also, I would argue that it does hurt those leagues to a degree. Not the NFL. That's I think we can put them to the other side. That's a league that is incomparable. But who who cares about the MLB regular season? Who cares about the NBA or NHL regular season? <clears throat> I think that that has a little bit more to do with the number of games. But I think I think when you get down to the later portions of the season and even the mid portions of the season. When you have 50% of the teams not making the playoffs, there is a breaking point in the season when you're in it or you're not in it anymore. And there's real stakes to try to be in it. Like, and, and, and MLS, to a certain degree, those stakes have existed in the past. And people get fired when they don't make the playoffs. Like, those are real stakes. People lose their jobs. I'm not sure those get, stakes have get ever cut. You think but, they've existed in MLS? Yeah, I think they've existed. I've, you know, but I think that if you drop the standard down this low, it 
it just makes it less interesting. I mean, look at the standings from last year. The ninth place team in the East was Charlotte. They had 18 losses. 18 losses. Vancouver was the ninth place team in the West. They had 15 losses. How many points did those teams have? Do you have that? 42 and 43, respectively. So they're, they're doing like 1.25 points per game. Yeah, 1.24 and 1.26 points per game. And at a certain point, we have to ask ourselves, like, where are we trying to find the competitiveness in this league? What are we doing to compel people to be more competitive, to be more ruthless, to have real stakes that doesn't exist in MLS? Like, if you do this, it doesn't exist to an even higher degree. Right now, the fact that, like, last season, I live in Chicago, the fire were bad. They were not good for most of the year. And at the end of the year, when John Duran started scoring and they, you know, they got a couple wins in a row for, for a minute there, they were like in the playoffs all of a sudden. It was like mind boggling. And, and even as they continued to lose games down the stretch, it was like, well, if they just win one, they're within four points of the playoffs, you know? Mm -hmm. And it just felt so ridiculous because it did change the way that teams get better. Like, in my opinion, when you are a losing team or, a, uh, you know, an eighth or ninth place team in a team where in a league where seven teams get into the playoffs and you know you're not going to make the playoffs and, and you realize you're not a good team, there are things that start to happen that impact whether or not you get better, whether that's firing the coaching staff and bringing in new coaches, changing out players. Playing young players, developing Playing younger players yeah. late in the season because you don't have a chance to make the playoffs. And so now you invest in your academy and you give those other players a chance to prove themselves. That happens so rarely in this league. And it's because everyone thinks they're in it. And and this is going to because they are in it. Amplify that. It's going <laughs> to right. amplify it. And I just don't understand. Like, is it worth is all of that worth it? Devaluing the regular season, decreasing the level of competitiveness decreasing the opportunity that's there for teams to try to get better late in the season in the long term, not just the short term, creating turnover in the league that is difficult. Like people are losing jobs. I get that. Like it's it's a real downside of the sports industry, but it's but it's also how sometimes things get better. Not always. Sometimes you hire the wrong person or whatever, but like it compels people to try to get better. And you lose all that for what? To add two games to add two play-in games to yeah. try to get to so so that I mean, the 11th and 12th the to fans be fair, a lot of these problems still exist if they have eight teams per side yeah i mean you're right but like it, it, they still exist and then you're going to make it even worse like yeah. if you are the fan of a 12th place team you don't want to be in the playoff hunt late well some would I mean, it's just ridiculous. Like at a certain point, like what you want is change, you know, mm -hmm. like, and it's, it's frustrating to me. Like I, I remember way back when I first started covering the league full time again in 2015, I remember talking to somebody, a GM of a team at the time about the bar of making the playoffs. And at, at the time, MLS, and I think they still do this. If you miss the playoffs, you get extra allocation money. And this GM's point was like, you know, if you are a seventh place team at the time and you're going to miss the playoffs, the sixth, the sixth spot of the playoffs, there were 20 teams at the time. They had 12 of 20 getting in. So it was above 50% then too. I believe it was 12 of 20. I have to go back and look at that's 20 teams. Right. Yeah. 
But the point was like, if you are going to get in as the, you know, the, the sixth place team and get smashed by the first place team, because there was a, there was a difference between, you know, the, the very best teams, you know, that, that year it was Toronto at 49 points and first place was New York Red Bulls at 60 points. Like, is it that much better to go into the playoffs, play one game and get knocked out? Are you in a better, are you in better or worse shape going into the next season? having made the playoffs, the narrative around your team by, by escaping into that position by a couple points. I think, I think you are in a better spot. Yeah. Well, that's, but like the the question is like, are you like really in a better spot? Like, whereas the team just under them, not making the playoffs gives you more allocation money, one, but two, a, a completely different narrative, right? The difference in narrative of we made the playoffs, we're on the right track, you Mm -hmm. know, and we didn't I mean, I guess it depends on the context. Change. If you're a team yeah. coming up, you can be on the right track and you can be in sixth or you can be in seventh. You're still on the right track. I guess finishing sixth and seventh doesn't really change that much about the overall picture for an individual team. So some teams, it could be beneficial. Some teams, it would delay kind of needed change. But I, I think, but, I don't know. But I mean, now we're not talking about sixth and seventh. Now we're dropping it down to have this conversation at ninth and tenth and eleventh. Right. Yeah. And bad and teams. So Let's just say bad teams. The bad these teams. are bad teams. These yeah. aren't like these narratives of like, it, okay, we finish in ninth instead of tenth, and now you can make a set a narrative. Oh well, we're a playoff team. These we don't need to change. We don't well, need to spend more money. We don't need to sign better anymore. players. Yeah, like it. It takes away the value of being a playoff team. Yeah, and I think it it should reset. If this happens, it should reset how we talk about jobs. And yeah, teams. I mean, well, it, that should change anyway because making it as a seventh seed doesn't mean you're a good team either. But to me, Paul, there there are a few rational reasons for expanding the playoff format. So I'm just gonna like kind of go through those. It puts more teams in the running for longer, right? And it puts more teams in the playoffs. That means theoretically that you probably have some more interested parties taking the plunge and subscribing to MLS season pass. That's something that Apple wants. That's something that MLS wants. We we in agreement there? Yeah. All right. More teams in the running for longer and more teams in the playoffs and more playoff games means more game day related revenue for individual clubs. That's something that the league wants. You know, you could you could do a scenario, right? Like let's say this means so you're adding two teams to the playoffs. Let's say that means that three teams per conference are in the running for three extra games down the stretch. Let's say that that means that they have 3,000 extra people in the seats for those matches. So three times three, 900,000, let's just call it a million, right? And, and sorry, let's call it a million. <laughs> 3,000, so call it 10,000, 100, 100 pups, bucks a pop for those tickets, food, concessions, parking, merchandise. Let's say 100 bucks in revenue from those 10,000 people. That's a million extra dollars think right my is my math okay there Ten thousand times 100 i think that's I don't know. you're the you're the econ pretty sure that's double major and and so that's that's a real number for an mls team it's not like something that's going to make or break them but it's not meaningless either and so that's maybe one reason that they're looking at doing this and, and so like those are the real rational reasons for doing this and, and i understand those owners are in this not just for the pure competition sporting reasons they're in this to make a buck too or minimize their losses if they can but 
there's all those costs and you mentioned some of them, right? The dilution of the regular season. Why should anyone give a crap about something that happens before September or October in this league? Why? If you can go on a run of three games, if you can be bad all year, right? And and you're like in 10th, 11th place, and then you win two, then you get seven points from three games and you're in the playoff field. Like, like why should anyone care? Why should players and coaches care? This is something I've talked to former players about Bobby Warshaw. He rails about this a lot. Like the stakes are lower to them too. And what does that mean? That means it's a little bit less intense. We're talking percentage points, right? Maybe it's 99% instead of a hundred, but they know too. They understand the game. They understand how the standings work. (laughs) And like, there's less of a desperation when it comes to those regular season results, when you do things like this and that affects the product. That means the games are a little bit slower. They're not as emotional. They're not as dramatic. MLS is awesome when stakes are attached. The playoffs are so much fun every year. The end of the regular season is so much fun every year. They should be doing everything they can to kind of recreate that and bring that into the regular season and have more of it. And this makes, it makes, it does the opposite. It means we have less of it. And that to Mm -hmm. me is exactly like it's it really un- does. It's, un- it's understandable in some ways from a financial perspective i get it that everybody's trying to trying to make more money so they can buy better players and make the league better but the impact of this i think from a financial perspective will most likely be marginal um, i'm not sure that all of that money is going to be invested in the players or the teams and i think in the long run you have to be willing to sacrifice a little bit and so if you took it down to even six teams per conference poll so you're talking six out of 29 eventually they'll get to 30 teams so you're talking 12 out of 30 teams make the playoffs. That's 40%. That's still quite a few teams that make it. But I think there is a good kind of competitive. To me, that's a good sweet spot. It's a good middle point where it's enough that make it in, where it's still competitive all year, but it's not so few that teams fall out of it really early. And, and if you do that, <laughs> like, I don't know. I think you can get a lot of the benefits. I think you can make the regular season stakes a little bit higher. There are other things you can do too. Right? It doesn't have to be an equal revenue share, for instance. You could reward regular season performance by saying, okay, you get a higher cut of the league pot that all teams contribute to than the team that finishes last. I don't think they'll ever do that, but I don't know, man. It's just like it's, it's making a little bit more money on the short term and you're sacrificing kind of the ability to make this into a bigger and better thing or you're making it harder to make it into a bigger, better thing in the long run. Yeah, I mean, that's what you, you know, when when we were discussing this yesterday, this episode and what we were going to talk about, I think that was one of the points you brought up is that a lot of times MLS does these short term fixes, short term things to keep the ball rolling in the way that they want with and and even when it means it holds back kind of the potential for long term gains and the idea of improving the product, because the better you make the product, the more people are going to want to watch it. And now you're selling it. Like we, you have to pay to watch this. Like this is now no longer like, oh, I'm just going to watch my local channel that the that my team's playing yeah. on. You had to pay before because you were subscribing to cable, but you also get a lot of other things with your cable subscription. Right. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, one of the number one reactions I saw on my Twitter, so it's anecdotal, but I saw a lot of MLS fans who I think are mostly what follow us, like kind of the more passionate fans of, of the league saying, okay, this is cool. Like, 40% of the games are free. I'll tune into the free ones. If I miss some of my team's games, it's no big deal. And I'll pay for it in September, late yeah. in the year, when the games start to matter again, if, and if my team's in it or not. I'm, my team will probably be in it. Like, And that's, I think that's the right attitude to have, frankly. Like, 
I think it's going to be a lot harder to have compelling games over the course of the season. And and you're right. It's like, can you create stakes? Can you make those games matter more? Create a little bit of desperation earlier in the year to jockey to be in the right positions so that you're battling for a playoff spot over the course of the whole year. And I think, you know, this is a league that both you and I have thought for a long time has the chance to be really good if they make certain changes. That's why we get so mad about this stuff. But like the reality, Sam, is it's not. It's not that good. It's it's good enough to get people to tune in, turn out for games, like and tune in when you're and in the stadium. Some things are great. The stadiums are fantastic. There's some yeah, excellent sure. players. Like, yeah, yeah there's some good players. The good things, but yeah, it's, it's nice to see. But like, what it could be, what it should be, what it's capable of being on the same spend with, you know, with more of a focus on the sporting side. And a little bit less focus on some of these, like the idea of like a million dollars more per team in the short term to sacrifice that to try to create more fans for the long term. Like this is the kind of stuff that it makes no sense to me. Like I had no problem the first portion of this when we heard they're going to add more games to the playoffs and they need to try to create more inventory there. I got it. I understood it. Like, I, I think the single elimination is great, but it makes for a very rapid postseason and very few number of games that you have yeah. to win to be the champion. So, like, I get that, like, okay, like, all right, add a few more hurdles, a few more games you have to win. Everyone gets a home game. Like, fine. Like, you're merging the business side with the competitive side, and I think it makes sense. And Seems it like a decent compromise. Yeah. But, but to now get to a point where we're talking about 60% plus of teams in the playoffs, it's just – it makes it less interesting, like straight up. Like I get paid to watch this league and it makes me less interested in watching it like for my job, you know, <laughs> it's, it's like, I don't want to have to write about like even late in the season when it was like, Oh, the playoff races that you talk about that are compelling and fun. Like for me, it's not going to be fun to write about like Houston dynamo are two wins away from being in ninth position. Uh, they haven't won a game since June. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I what are we rewarding here? What are we talking about? Why does this matter? Also, you know? Paul, this isn't a problem that needed to be solved. Like the more teams in contention later in the year. Like I right. was messing around. There's a website out there that shows you MLS standings by date. And I think like 10 or 11 of the 14 teams in the East were within six points of the playoffs with like five games to go last year. Like that, that's fine. That, that's that's a lot of teams that are still in the race, that are still in the hunt, that still have a real chance to make it. Like, you don't need all 14 to be in. <laughs> like, some are going to fall by the wayside. That's we okay. We talked about this on the show a number of times, like last year. Like, the fact that there were five or six teams in the East that were all fighting for that last last two playoffs. And no one spots. could win a game. Yeah. yeah, and the separation of points between, I think it was between, like, what? Like, sixth place and tenth place was four points or something like that which, which was like fun it was it was interesting and compelling but also these teams like the 10th place team is not very good right and, and so like like that I, I don't know what are we rewarding to me this goes back to something that is like maybe the defining theme of mls certainly a defining theme of mls but it's that it's rewarding the teams at the bottom of the barrel who don't want to try harder or spend more to compete at the expense of or maybe not at the expense, but instead of rewarding the teams that are trying to push things forward. There are governors on this league. 
right? There are teams that hold the whole thing back. And instead of saying, hey, these teams, you really need to try harder if you want to compete. It's, hey, you know, you got to try a little harder, but also we're going to like uh, make some allowances for you too. And enough with the allowances. Like enough with the allowances. If you want this league to actually grow at the rate that it should be growing in terms of a compelling product to watch in person and on television or on a streaming platform, if you want it to grow in terms of the quality of play standpoint at the rate that it should, then then like enough with the allowances. Just let the big teams be the big teams and let everybody else try and catch them. And it doesn't have to be crazy. It doesn't need to be Germany or Spain. You can have some governors still, but just fewer than you do now. Yeah. I mean, there's there's evidence of this, too. It's like, I mean, let's not forget the MLS expanded their playoffs in MLS expanded their playoffs in 2020, the COVID year and 10th place Inter Miami got into the playoffs, you know, they and were awful. They were an awful. They were not good that year and they didn't deserve to be in the playoffs, No, you know, and and that's just the reality of it. And I just don't understand what MLS thinks. Like, again, I don't think that the the sporting side, the 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 sporting and entertainment side is not being considered enough in this proposal. Or or maybe it will be and they won't do this. But like it's not just the sporting side. It's like, what are you offering up for us to watch? And you're you're putting too much emphasis on the idea of more fans feeling like their teams have something to play for. And not enough on the fact that everyone else feels like there's less to care about. <laughs> yeah. Like ultimately, I mean, ultimately, man, like people like dynasties. Like that's proven. That's fact. More people watch the NBA, the NFL, when the Patriots are running things or the Yankees are running things or the Warriors or the Lakers or whoever is like on a tear. MLS doesn't have those and that's by design. And when it's just all parody all the time, there's one league that that works for. It's the NFL. And like, you're not going to be the NFL and that's fine. It's a class unto itself, but it's just, I, I don't know, man. It's just, it's frustrating. I wish they just gave, leaned into the, the biggest and the best that they have because they do have good teams and they do have good stories and they deserve more attention and more spotlight. And instead there's like kind of this allocation and the sense of everybody's got to be treated equally and everybody's got to get equal limelight. And, and no, they don't. <laughs> Like LAFC should get more attention than they do. Like Philly should get more attention than they do. And it should come at the expense of some of the teams towards the bottom of the barrel that soak up some of that limelight. Yeah. And I mean, how many teams get into NFL playoffs? Um, 12 out of 32. No, it's 14 now, right? They have seven. Yeah. Yeah. 14, so 14 out, of, out of 32. So less than 50%. Yeah. It's, you know. I don't know what the percentage is. If you want to fill some time, I can. Oh, it's not sixty-two and a half percent. It's right? definitely not sixty-two and a half. If it's less, we know it's less than fifty percent. Forty-three point seven five percent. There you go. So even <laughs> you know, we talk about the parity and the idea of parity. Like even in the NFL, you create a really strong narrative over the entire course of the season of how like trying to get into the playoffs. Yeah, and it making it really hard, high. making it hard to make the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And that's part of how you make things compelling when everyone is around the same levels and there are really good teams and there are okay teams. And then there are a lot of like 
decent teams and a few bad ones, right? Yeah. Well, you want all those decent and good teams to feel like they're fighting for something throughout the year. Yeah. And then you want it to feel like it sucks when you miss the playoffs. And guess like, what? If if with 33% of the season to go, you're out of it, you're out of it. Then you start building towards the next season. Exactly and, right. And, and like that's how it works in that league. In an MLS, that, I guess, alternative is unacceptable. To me, it's a little bit strange too because you have a League's Cup this year. There's an entirely separate competition that if you're out of it within MLS, you can still go for. You can still make a run at and you can still drive interest through. And, and so if, if there was a time to kind of tighten it up, I think it was probably now. And instead, they're going the other way. So but, I don't know. I, I feel like my, I don't... Sorry, go ahead, Paul. My, my last point here is like something you brought brought up earlier, which is like, this is also a league that's that's stated outwardly that they want to develop players and sell players, both homegrowns and U22 signings. And like they've created these initiatives and incentives to do this. And you mentioned like when you aren't that good of a team and you're starting to fall out of the playoff picture late in a season, that's when you feel like a little bit more freedom to say, we're going to develop these guys. We're going to play these guys and put them in and see what happens. Like I felt like that's kind of what happened with the Chicago fire in a way. Like there was, you know, John Duran needed to develop and he was raw and they just, they were falling out of the picture a little bit. They stuck him in the game. He started scoring goals. They got back into the playoff picture. But like part of that is just an understanding that these are the moments when you can play your kids. These are the moments when you can put these young guys out there and give them exposure, give them minutes. And you know, we're not very good right now. Even with our bet, our starters, they're not good enough. So we might, if we're going to lose games, let's lose games with value. Let's get right. some value out of these losses. And so for a league who's got this stated goal of developing those young players, I think this is another place where you're taking away opportunity to do that. You know, incentive, like it's a, one of the good things about being a bad team is like, if you're smart, if you're a smart, maybe the only, maybe the only good thing. Right. It's if you're, and that's by the way, it doesn't always happen. I mean, you know, I remember when I first moved to Chicago in 2016, like, that was a bad team and like they didn't play their young players late in that season. They just, you know, they were just bad the whole year. Like the young guys didn't really get in that much. Is that a like, Sean Maloney team? No, it was not. That was, it was Velko Ponovich's first year, but they, they knew they were going to be bad. They kind of cleared the cap and everything. But at the very end of the season, when you're just that bad, just throw the kids in. Who cares? Like, let's find out about them. Let's see if they're good or DC if they're bad. did this last year. Toronto did it. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's like, now we're going to have fewer teams seeing the, like the, they're going to, why would they do it? They're going to say, Oh, I can finish in ninth and make the playoffs and save my job. Yeah. My incentive is to win now and not build. And, and I just think that that even goes counter to some of the bigger picture goals, longer term goals of the league. Yeah. Um, I think we both think the playoffs are cool and fun. I don't think we think the playoffs should go away. I think that they should have gotten smaller Instead, MLS made them a little bit bigger. And we both think clearly that there are some negative ramifications to that. There's some positive ones too from a financial standpoint. Those things matter. I think sometimes we minimize that a little bit on this show. But I mean, I don't know. I think longer term, you really need to make these regular season games matter. And I mean, that's, that's what's going to get you more financial returns. That's, and, that's right. That's and, right. And, and, you know, that's some short term pain but some potential for long, long-term long bigger gains. And uh, they didn't make that trade this time. But good news, Paul. They'll probably switch it again in a year or two. So 
It's true. <laughs> I remember when they expanded the playoffs in 2015. They changed the format it was, like every two. It was the same years. same thing back then. It was kind of like, oh, we're doing this because of XYZ and like, hey, we're going to expand. And so it, once we expand, it'll be a much more the, the the seven and seven in each conference will make sense. And then as soon as they expanded, they, ex- you know, like, boom, now they're expanding it again, <laughs> you know, so. So, yeah, anyway, we'll have something new to yell about a year or two from now, I'm sure. Uh, anyway, we need to take a break from our yelling. Rest the vocal cords a little bit. We'll come back, talk about Jesse Marsh, Leeds United, U.S. national team, U.S. soccer, all that fun stuff. Stay with us. Allocation disorder. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. Sam Stasco, Paul Tenorio. Uh, Paul, the American manager in the Premier League, Jesse Marsh, got fired. We lost two-thirds of an American manager in the Premier League. On, on balance, because Chris Armas is part of a three-headed monster as caretaker manager at Leeds United now. Uh, obviously, that was big news on Monday, was it? Earlier this week? I think it was Monday. Uh, Leeds, you know, were in trouble. Uh, hadn't had much success in the last month or two. Jesse Marsh gets the sack after a big January transfer window and saw the club land Weston McKenney, among others, for I think 40 or $50 million total outlay. Um He's gone, doesn't get a chance to bed those guys in, lasted just about a year. Uh, took over, I think, a relatively difficult situation, but didn't have a ton of success either. Of course, his name has been linked with the U.S. national team job already since before he was fired. Once he got fired and became a free agent, those links only heated up. Um, Paul, what do you make of, of Marsh at Leeds in that time? And what do you think this means for U.S. soccer? Well, I think Leeds didn't have a very good roster. I think that they were probably appropriately in the spot 
the right spot in the table, I guess is the best way to put it. Like I didn't expect them to be like a ninth place team in the Premier League. Um, I thought that they still needed more reinforcements. I thought they needed have needed a, a number nine who can score consistently. I also don't love the way that Leeds play soccer. I don't I don't really love the style of play. You know, some people call it yeehaw ball. It's you know, old school Red Bull system, like the 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 way it all first started under Ralph Ragnick. It's high press, play against the ball, sometimes lose the ball on purpose, play long balls into certain areas of the field to lose it on purpose, and very little to no emphasis on keeping the ball, even when you have chances to do it. Um, it's just, uh, it's not the way I would want to play. It's not the way I think is the best way to play. <laughs> so I'm, I'm like a little bit torn in that. I think that um, Jesse had this team where I, where I think almost any manager would have this team. I think they were 17th in the wage wages in the premier league and they were 17th in the table. I yeah, I think they were 15th in transfer spending and 17th in the table. Like it all kind of makes sense. I think they were 15th in like expected points or something like that. Like it's not like they were like outperforming or underperforming drastically. You know, they also have, had a game in hand at that time, right? So I I just I I feel like it was I don't want to say it was like harsh to fire him, but I don't think that the roster, I think the bigger problem was the roster versus the coach. But I also, again, like I'm don't, I'm not in love with this style of play. I never have been. And, you know, I've said this on the show before, Sam, and I said it on the podcast that we did on Monday after the news came out. Like I, when I went to Salzburg and sat with Jesse, I didn't know Jesse. We had crossed paths in like professional ways when he was Red Bull coach here in New York, but I didn't know him. And the first day that I was there, we ended up sitting down, or I guess it was the second day, because I, I I met him for the first time after they played a league game. And the next day, I, I sat with him at, his, at the training facility. And we got into like kind of a debate about the right way to play soccer. I like to keep the ball. He likes to play against the ball. And when I walked out of the room that day, he was the only person who has ever made me think, okay, like maybe they're right. Maybe that is a good way to play. Maybe it makes more sense than I'm giving it and my biases of like how I grew up playing. Like I would never do it, but like Jesse was so passionate, so committed to the idea of it, so convincing and how he talked about it that it sold me on it. And, and so I, I kind of keep that in mind too. It's just not how I would want to play, but like he really truly believes in it. And that's, you know, I will maybe, say maybe that to his to detriment him. at the yeah, end, I think to his detriment at the end in the last two jobs. But yeah. like, this is who he is. And and if you're going to say anything like that team was playing exactly how he wanted them to play, like minus the inability to finish and, like, and minus, I think, some of the defensive transition struggles. So well. that's kind of part. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the system is like you put yourself in those. Yeah, those by the sword, die by the sword, right? Yeah. I think it's bad generally to be extremely dogmatic on basically anything. Um, and, and I think maybe that burned Jesse Marsh a little bit in that job. I do, Paul, you know, want to focus more on, on what this means for the U S men's national team, because I think a lot of people immediately made that leap to, Oh, U S soccer, go hire him. Or some people were like, well, maybe not. Don't do that. But either way, regardless of what you think of Jesse Marsh as manager, U S soccer, it does not seem to be in a position to make any quick move for Marsh or anybody else as head coach. We've talked about this a little bit before, but it bears repeating. You know, U.S. soccer, they have to hire a sporting director first. 
before they hire a head coach. Cindy Parlacone, the president of the federation, has said that's a process that could take months. You know, they want to have one in place before the Women's World Cup begins on July 20th. That's more than five months away. Uh, so this could be a while. Anthony Hudson, the interim manager, I think at this point, I would expect him to be coaching the team as long as they make the Nations League Final Four at the Nations League Final Four in June and at the Gold Cup in June and July. Uh, anything else would be a bit of a surprise for me, which is dumb. <laughs> uh, frankly, I think there are some, you know, you want to get that higher, right? But I also think that there should be a, a kind of a broader rethink of what that structure looks like atop the U.S. soccer sporting hierarchy. Um, and I'm not sure that they're going to they're gonna necessarily do that, but we'll see. Um, so yeah, Paul, I, I don't think anyone should expect Jesse Marsh to be snapped up real quick here by the Federation. Sam, I, I already ranted about this on, on that Monday podcast. So if you want to hear my rant about it, go listen to that show. <laughs> but I really am curious to hear your point of view. I mean, it's February 9th right now as we sit here. It's been a a few days, a week since Ernie Stewart announced he was leaving. His last day is like February 15th. But you've had, you're, you're going to have all of February, March, April, May, June, July, August to hire a sporting director and coach, which is what basically Cindy Parlo Cohn said is her goal is that, the, you know, in her mind, that the coach will be in place by the end of the summer. At the that's latest. Seven, At the latest. That's seven months, Sam. It's a long time. Uh, it does not take that long. <laughs> and, you know, it might not take that long. They might have it done by May. We don't know. It, it should be. Like, Sam, like, we, you, you've been with me on this journey covering this national team. <laughs> we sat for recording our podcast from Cuba to Qatar and talked to a lot of different people. We, I, w- I was there at Greg Berhalter's first camp, and I remember talking to him about it then, and his quotes about it then, and his quotes about it ahead of this World Cup didn't change very much. Dave Sarakin did a, as good a job as he could do as the interim manager. But what did he say to us and Tyler Adams say to us and other people say to us? Like, we couldn't really move forward during that year. We couldn't really make progress. There wasn't a plan because there was an interim manager. So yeah. that Saturday was, was a wait, it was It was essentially a wasted year. I mean, like, yes, it's nice to cap the players, but it's a lot nicer to cap the players and give them experience and a system and start figuring things out so that – you're not figuring things out during World Cup qualifying or during Nations League when you're losing to Canada and stuff like that. Like, ideally, you figure that stuff out before and you have longer into, into that transition game, yeah. pressing game, yeah. whatever. They are now doing this again mm-hmm. on a shorter timeline than they had before. With fewer World- meaningful games than so before. With fewer meaningful games and, and a bigger stakes because you're hosting the World Cup. Yeah, seems good. Seems really good. When you put it that way, it puts my mind at ease. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I think they should just rethink this entire process. You know, they're they're talking about whether or not they're going to hire a men's GM to, to replace Brian McBride. I think the expectation is that they're they're not going to because there was a lot of overlap between Ernie Stewart and Brian McBride and Greg Berhalter and McBride's functional duties weren't really that. There weren't that many of them <laughs> from everything that you and I have been told. And, and so why have two people in that spot? All right, fair enough. But talking to people at different clubs around the league and different folks in the broader orbit of American soccer, no one's like that. No one's telling me like, Oh, this sporting director job, super attractive. No, there are like a lot of elements of this gig that like aren't viewed as particularly fun or interesting for people that are running a club. Like you have to deal with a lot of politicking. You have to deal with like things like referee training and coaching education things that aren't very sexy and that a lot of candidates that you would want 
aren't going to find particularly interesting. And so, all right, instead of having one person come in and do that and manage the men's national team and be the GM and, and take on some of those responsibilities, why not just split it? Make this a three-headed monster on top. Have Kate Markgraf do what she does with the women's national team, which by all accounts, she's doing a nice job with in terms of managing those relationships and, and making sure everything's good to go on that side, setting a style of play, doing all the youth national team stuff. Have somebody do exactly those same functions on the men's side. They don't have to have the same vision. They don't have to play the same style of soccer. The women and the men exist in very different worlds. The women have you know, dominated the sport for a long time. They're at the top of the heap. We'll see how they do in the World Cup this summer, but like they are a power unquestionably. Other countries are catching up, but they are a power unquestionably. The men are trying to catch up and they're not there yet. They have a long way to go before they can be a power. And so you're going to do different things and that's okay. That's good. You should be doing different things. It'd be weird if you weren't. So you can have somebody that manages the club relationships, that does all the hiring of the youth national team head coaches, that tries to like make sure everyone's on the same page from a general tactical perspective, figures out a pathway to get guys from the U15s to the senior team, all of those things. You should have someone doing that. Then have somebody in the middle kind of handling the administrative stuff, the stuff that isn't particularly sexy or interesting to a lot of folks and, and kind of be the, the administrator. They can all report to a CEO. They can all work together and pool their resources and their knowledge in a way that, you know, acts as like a force multiplier. Like that, you can do all of those things, but you can have a clear delineation of the duties in a way that makes these jobs maybe a little bit more attractive, a little bit easier to hire for. And then guess what, Paul? Guess what the knock-on effect is? You can have them in place maybe a little bit quicker and you can hire a men's national team head coach faster. Yeah. And and that to me is like a must. Like the timeline has to be adjusted. They have to, if they have a few, just a few conversations with people who have been around the national team, they will, they will realize that this current time frame, this, this timeline that they've set out is not correct. That, that as much as they might want to look into the, you know, have sportsology, take five months to audit them and interview every employee and learn whatever sportsology is going to learn that the priority here is hosting that you have a women's world cup this summer and then you are hosting a world cup and you need your team to perform men's team to perform well at that world cup you need to maximize what you can get out of that world cup to delay those hirings that past the summer or until the summer would be a huge mistake and it's unnecessary like it reminds me i don't know man i'm like going crazy here like (laughs) it reminds me of like the process we talked about with apple tv and like all of the interviews that they did with hundreds and hundreds of talent people and then like the names that they announced were just like a lot of names that have been known from the jump like it's just like sometimes like you can simplify pro I mean I'm I'm it's not exactly the same, but it just feels like yeah. there are going to There's be nothing wrong with talking to people. No, of course not. But there are going to like there are going to be a set of candidates that ex- that exist now for this job and that are going to exist in four months for this job. Like I, I just think that like not necessarily, though. That's the thing, because there's people that will be in jobs now that won't. No, I'm not talking on. about coach. I'm talking about sporting director. Okay. Like, the people you want to talk to, like, you should pretty much know who those people are. Like, you should have a good idea of the types of people you want to talk to, what you're looking for to hire your manager. And and by the way, like, I did talk to somebody recently who who discussed the positives of the job, the 
the incentive to be running the sporting department of U.S. soccer when they're hosting a World Cup. Yeah, no, it's the not. Opportunities it's not that would be bad. there. Yeah, like, and so there are people who are going to be interested, but you are also you again, like, you have to pay attention to the sporting side of this too, and recognize that you're working on a limited timeline, and that these games matter, and this time matters to be able to move the team forward. Time is and of the essence. It's just, it feels like it's being played down a little bit. Like, oh, like, it's four games of Nations League. It's a few Gold Cup games. How much is really going to be gleaned? Well, Gold Cup's one of the only times you have a month straight with the team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talked about that too, Sam, like in the lead up to the World Cup and Mexico's decision and Greg Berhalter's decision of how to use the Gold Cup. Like, yeah. those things can have an influence. So it's just frustrating to me just because it feels like it's like, Again, I just feel like maybe the the sporting side of this is getting moved to the side a little bit in this aim of like kind of like this like the business side of it or the consulting side of it. Like I, I just feel like it's like sometimes you can just simplify things a little bit more and make the deci- make just as good of a decision and not have to overthink things. Yeah. Well, as always, I think the lesson here, Paul, is to put us in charge and everything. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, all you have to do is listen to Allocation Disorder and all your problems will be solved. <laughs> I'm kidding. Kind of. Kind of. No, we're both uh, kidding. Don't listen to Allocation Disorder. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, never listen to this show. Why are you listening to it right now? Stop. Stop <laughs> listening to it. The show's over. <laughs> <laughs>